Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Last Drinks podcast, a new conversation about how to navigate an awesome life without alcohol, reframing the cultural norms around alcohol in our lives. And hosted by me, Maz Compton, sober since 2015. Hello, my beautiful friends. Welcome to a very different kind of last drinks episode. So how do I explain this? This is a crossover episode. If you're a fan of Grey's Anatomy, this is like when they did the private practice Grey's Anatomy crossover episodes where Addison goes to private practice and then some of the characters in that show that ended up being a spin-off turn up on Grey's Anatomy for an episode. It's sort of like that. <laughs> what I did is I was invited by my beautiful friend Tori to be a guest on her podcast, Peaches Podcast. Now, Tori runs a Pilates empire called Peaches Pilates, and her podcast is actually not about fitness. It's just inspiring conversations that she has with people who she loves, and I feel very, very humbled and honoured that she would ask me to be a guest on her podcast. So I went on the Peaches podcast to talk about my sobriety journey. Tori led all the questions because it's her podcast and I answered them. And what we kind of stumbled on was this really natural and organic conversation between myself being someone sober and Tori, who isn't sober by choice. She's sober right now because she's heavily pregnant with her second child. But she was really honest in saying that when she's not pregnant, she doesn't mind the odd drink and she doesn't think that it's that bad for her. So Tori's line of questioning about my sobriety was so organic. And what we talked about was, I just felt like it was really beneficial because Tori does ask all the questions that a sober curious mind would be having. So as much as uh, our full conversation, which is just shy of two hours, will be on the Peaches podcast, I've got a really good portion of it that focuses on sobriety and my story and Tori's really clever and really interesting questions about my sobriety journey. So I really hope you enjoy it. It's a bit of a different vibe. It's a very, very long episode, but I do think that you're going to find some really good stuff in there if you're newly sober, sober curious, or if there's somebody in your world, you're sort of, you know, listening for a friend, that kind of vibe. I think you'll definitely stumble on a little bit of gold in here. A quick reminder before we get into the episode that you can reach out to me on Instagram, either on Maz Compton, my personal, or at Last Drinks Pod, which is the podcast. I love hearing feedback. I love getting um, stories from you guys and requests to be on the podcast. Um, bring it all on. Enjoy this crossover episode of The Peaches Podcast and Last Drinks. Cool. Can we just take a step back in time in this journey? Yes. And talk please. about where it all began. And can you maybe maybe start with telling us like what an average day in your life looked like before you realized you might be a little bit dependent on booze? Uh, I was a lot depend uh, dependent on booze. Um <laughs> so I feel like well you know what? The reason why I called the podcast Last Drinks, and that's the name of my book as well, Last Drinks, it's a sober curiosity handbook. 
um, that'll be out in July. The reason why I called it Last Drinks is because I feel like my sobriety story began when I decided to have my last drink. Like nothing that I talk about in sobriety is possible unless I had that last drink. And it's a really defining line in the sand moment. And I didn't want to hone in on talking about people's rock bottom or like, when was the shittiest thing that ever happened to you that made you realize you needed to quit drinking? Like I really wanted to, I feel like um, when people talk about their last drink, it, it is a defining moment in their life. It's an uplifting one because you're crossing over into a new norm and you're living life without the multi-tool of coping, which is alcohol. So for me, um, 2014 was a really, really pivotal year. I, as you would know, like I had spent my 20s and early 30s really climbing the media ladder and I climbed it fast and I climbed it hard and I in 2014 got to kind of what I imagined in my brain is like the top of the radio game I was hosting the national drive show um I had a wickedly hilarious comedic co-host in Dan DeBoof I was just killing it like my face was on billboards I had like this epic contract with like tons of money and I was interviewing celebrities every five minutes and like giving Jared Leto massages and just like on the shoulders, just to clarify. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I was like on paper killing the game. Um, and then I would go home from work and I would drive through the drive through bottle shop and I would buy a bottle of Savion Blanc and a bottle of Pinot just in case. And I would walk in my front door undo my freaking bra strap because god I love that feeling and pour a glass of wine and I would like mill around the house and drink wine and then cook some dinner and drink wine and I would drink a bottle of wine pretty much every night and it got to a point where during that year I remember thinking to myself shit <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore but I'm so used to just drinking all the time and I was never like crazy wild in the aisles like the worst thing that we'd do is I would maybe jump on Twitter and like be, you know, like engage in a bit of banter. A little bit do you know sloppy, what I mean? a little bit chatty. Like, yeah, a couple of typos. And that as somebody who I love language and I'm a writer for God's sake. So like typos on my Twitter feed were really frustrating. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I think I in that year of 2014, I was thinking about alcohol a lot and how I didn't want to drink, but I absolutely couldn't fathom getting through a day without it because my stress was so big. The load was so high. The imposter syndrome was so real. I had no break. There was no, I had to get up and do a show and I'm not complaining, but it was like back to back to back. And my whole life was scheduled. It was like, we need you here for this interview. Then you've got to go here for this dress fitting. And then you need to host this event. And because my life was so scheduled down to the microsecond, I feel like I had no control. And in hindsight, I look back and I'm like, well, at least I had control over what I drank. So it gave me this power, which is the irony that drinking made me feel powerful when I actually became powerless under it. That was 2014. Drinking all the time, never super crazy chaotic, like few big nights, couple of hangovers, couple of cheeky voms, pretty normal stuff. Couple of blackouts, meh. Nothing bad ever happened, I'm lucky could have ended up in some terrible situations, kind of didn't. That's why I wanted to have this conversation with you 
is because I think there's a lot of people out there who are abusing alcohol, using it as a stress relief, using it um, as a way to go to sleep every night, using it as a coping mechanism for even like I know a few people who um, it's almost like they can air their grievances once they've had a few drinks and then they're like really, really nice and sweet and they're sober and it's quite interesting watching it. And I wanted to have the conversation with you because you weren't a mess. You weren't in rehab. No. You weren't on the streets. And I think people excuse themselves by saying, oh, I don't have a problem, but is it affecting your life in a negative way? I guess that's the question we're trying to ask, right? That is, you are so, so spot on with that theory. It is that, and, and so, so let me just quickly fix, like, because it kind of ties back into yeah. what you just said. So drinking all the time, thinking about stopping, no idea how to do it. The thought of not drinking on a weekend. So I remember it was my friend Carly's 30th. You can't and have a 30th I, and not drink. That is just blasphemy. I, had this convers- I had this conversation with myself in the mirror. I was like, I don't want to go to my friend's birthday because I don't want to drink. That's insane. Like, can't I? But I can't go and not drink. Like, it, di- it, it didn't even compute in my head as an option. But that was the start of the sober curiosity for me. And then it kind of escalated and um, I there was a really hectic personal tragedy in my life in September of that year and I really spiralled pretty fast. And I, I realised in those few weeks that my way of dealing with anything was to drink alcohol and not feel the feelings because I didn't know how to process the feelings. So in that month, I actually Googled, am I an alcoholic? And that was not helpful (laughs) because I read like the AA kind of manifesto and I was like, that doesn't resonate with me. I'm not that. Um, But what am I then? Because I'm not sober. I can't imagine getting through a weekend without drinking but I'm not like chaos. I'm not leaving Las Vegas. I'm not. But if I keep going this way, I think year on year, my tolerance is increasing, which means I need to drink more to feel more of a buzz. I I get blackout drunk um, more often. Like it was heading in a really scary direction. And so it was in those few months that I was like, oh, God, I just heard the voice of my mother like ringing through my head and she's like, if nothing changes, nothing changes. And I was like, okay, kiddo, if you are doing the same behavior and expecting a different result, that's crazy. So what is the result that you want? So what do you need to change? And it was through this self-talk that I arrived at. The one thing I'm doing all the time that's getting me the result that I don't want is drinking. So maybe if I stop drinking for a little bit, I might see that there's another side to this story and I'm willing to gamble it all and risk it all and commit social suicide uh, in order to get, which is what it felt like. That was a very real thing that I was afraid of, that I would lose all of my friends. I might even lose my job. I was, I had so much to gamble in my head and none of those things were real, which we can unpack later. But I got to this place where I was like, I've got to change something. I'm going to change something. So I decided to stop drinking on the 1st of January, 2015, and I have not had a drink since that day. I mean, one of my questions is around that. So I think there's a lot of people like I've done a dry July years and years ago. Chris and I did it 
before we were married, we were pretty young, living in a share house, and we were doing a big trip in the States. And um, one of the main reasons we did it was because we were just spending a stupid amount of money. And, mm-hmm. it, you know, you have a few drinks and then you're buying shots at the bar and then no Jager bombs are on me. And then, you know, you're getting taxis. I think this was even before Uber. Um, you know, you're eating late night shit. You're waking up the next day eating shit because you've made the excuse for yourself that you're hungover. And we saved so much money. And I, more so than Chris, felt really, really, really good as well. Like I couldn't believe the difference in my energy levels and stuff like that. But I think my point is that like a lot of people do it for like raise money or take a break, save some money, whatever. Um, Was it really important to you that it was like cut and dry and not like, oh, I can, you know, I still have a glass of wine on a Saturday. Why why, why all or nothing matters? I am an all or nothing person for sure. I had tapped into Dry July and I love Dry July. I'm an ambassador for them. I think what they do is absolutely incredible. Um, But my my personal reasons for doing Dry July before 2015 was to prove to myself that I didn't have a drinking problem because I was like, well, if I can take a month off and raise some money for charity, like tick, 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 doing all the good things, and then I'd have a really wet August. (laughs) And, And it was proof to myself it's like if you can do four weeks off alcohol, then you're, you're smooth sailing, sister. You ain't got no problem. It's no big deal. And for me, the switch came when I realized I wanted to do better for longer. And so my intention that I set at the beginning of January 2015 was really different to how I would go into a dry July situation. My intention at the beginning of January 2015 was to try and find out who I was sober. And so it was a lot of digging in. It was a lot of journaling. It was, and I really, um, I didn't just not drink. I did some work on myself. So I kind of wanted to figure out why I was leaning on alcohol. Like, why did I need a few drinks before I hosted an event? Like, why couldn't I just get up and host the event? And so I kind of figured out in that month, like all of the things that I used alcohol for, I realized I could find other tools for. So I call alcohol the multi-tool of coping. And I think it's simply just because I didn't have any other tools in my toolkit. I didn't know how to process the trauma of a divorce. I didn't know how to process the grief of my friend dying suddenly. I didn't know, and, and good stuff happened in my life too. I didn't know how to handle success. I didn't know how to be on billboards. I didn't know how to hold my own space in a room full of celebrities and not feel like there was something weird about me being there. And all of these things happen in my life. And the one thing that I lent on to deal with it or to cope with it was alcohol. And what I started to discover in that month without alcohol is I could still do my job, show up to my relationships um, and do the stuff that I wanted to do and not drink. And the result was actually better. And so when I started to kind of tap into that, that kind of became my new obsession in a way like like how I was always so intense in my career and how I am an all-or-nothing person I became all-or-nothing in sobriety I was like well that's kind of it even though I never definitely in the first sort of six months I never said I'm never drinking again I was just like oh I'm just not drinking for now I'm just going to see how we go um but now I can I can say like I I will never have an alcoholic beverage again in my life like I'm so so done Uh, it's eight years. I'm eight years in. Um, and again, it's like this, there's a progressive revelation with sobriety. It's like how each year, year on year, and I don't know if this is the same for you, Tori, but like, if you do drink, 
each year you need a little bit more alcohol. Like each year you can tolerate a little bit more alcohol. Um, like might have taken three sips to get a little bit of a buzz when you were 18 and now it takes like maybe a glass and a bit of wine to get the same buzz. So it's like that's the progressive revelation of alcohol dependence. I'm experiencing the progressive revelation of sobriety, which is like year on year on year on year, the compounded benefits of being sober literally blow my brain and have exploded my life in the most amazing way. And I, I would not give anything up that I experience now in life for even a sip of alcohol because it's just not worth it for me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's take a step back. What was the reaction of your inner circle, like your closest friends and family? Yeah. When it became clear that this wasn't Maz doing dry July, this was Maz like, guys, I'm actually not necessarily quitting, but like, I'm not drinking for now. Like were you met with support? Were you met with, like mm. I sort of said in my preamble, I don't, I, I've been this person. I have been this fucking person who's been like, oh, for God's sakes, I'm not drinking. They're going to be so boring. Like we've all done it. Oh, well, at least I think I hope we have. Like how did, yeah. how did your circle react? Um, so I told my mom and my, at the time boyfriend, who's now my husband, uh, in October of 2014 that I really believed that I had a drinking problem and a, an alcohol dependence and they were both quite shocked because um, I hit it really well and I said I'm going to take some time off in January I'm not asking for your opinion I'm asking for your support and got full support and then I didn't make an announcement on social media I just kind of stop drinking and then I would answer the question when I was asked it so um, and had I had my time again, I would have been way more prepared with a sober response, which is what I encourage people to have before they stop drinking, is have a one-sentence response as to why. and Because just... everyone always wants to know why. It's not enough to just yeah. say, I'm not drinking tonight. Why? Yeah. Are you pregnant? Um, yeah. <laughs> you oh, my me? God. Yeah. So, so, oh, my God. That, and that's so loaded. Like, fertility is so loaded for so many people. So, um uh, initially I kept, um, I was, so I got this other, this new job. The other, one of the other reasons why I really wanted to quit is cause, um, I had this other really kick-ass job that I got and I was like, Oh, I really don't think I can do that job and be a mess. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I don't want to ruin that opportunity. So, um, and, and it was heading into messy town. Uh, so I kept doing work stuff and going to social events and I was just met with a fair bit of resistance, but I think I probably have a slight strain of oppositional defiance disorder. So I would just be like, yeah, I'm not drinking, whatever, and like kind of sussy about it. Um, so I had a few people say like, you're so boring, like come and talk to me when you're drinking again. Like, what are you doing that for? And what I've realized now is that, that all you're doing when you stop drinking is you hold a mirror up for somebody else's behavior. And if they're not cool with their relationship with alcohol and you're trying to reframe yours, that can be a little bit, confronting so um my to answer your question my immediate family and closest friends were fully supportive um probably surprised at three months that I was still not drinking to be honest I think they probably all thought she's just going to dry out for a few weeks and then carry on but I had such a huge paradigm shift during that time that I was like, oh, I think I've tapped into some sort of weird superpower in life and I'm going to keep going. And then, yeah, friendships did drop off the radar for sure, especially that year coincided with me getting out of 
the radio game for a little while, not by choice, just by being a casualty of some management changes. And so um, naturally my whole kind of social life shifted in that year. Um, so there was, yeah, there was some pushback, there were some dickheads, um, and then there was some support. It was, it was a real mix. Um, and as I said, I wish looking back now, I had a clearer, more defined response to go into those social situations. What is it called again? Your sober response. Sober response. What's yours? So, so, um, it depends on the day, but, um, early in my sobriety, it would be something like this. So if somebody said like, oh, you're not drinking, what happened? Um, I would say, you know what? I'm taking some time off for health reasons. And then I would shut up. I mean, to be honest, you can't fucking argue with that. Can you? No. And I think what we do as well, and especially because I was still convincing myself that this was a good idea, I would overcompensate with explanation, right? So I would be like, oh, well, so like my friend died in September and I didn't really deal with the grief very well. And so then I've decided that maybe to honor his life, I'm not going to drink for a bit because he was 10 years sober. And so that like is part of my grip. And I just had this really elaborate and not to say that any of those things were untrue, but they were really unnecessary to say to some idiot called Brad at some random bar that I was at, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm like, I don't even know who you are. Why am I telling you my I'm innermost secret? Too. I, I put it down right? to me being a people pleaser. Like I find it so yes. hard to say no. If I say no, yes. it's followed by two paragraphs of um, reasons, apologies. Oh, my God, yes. And then this is the other thing on that, Tori, I'm a huge over-apologizer and so – for the first sort of two months, if somebody said to me, um, do you want to drink? I'd be like, no, sorry, I'm not drinking. And I'd apologize. And then after about three or four months, I was like, why? I'm not sorry that I'm sober. I'm not sorry that I'm not drinking. And I stopped apologizing. And it was when I stopped saying sorry and I would just say, I'm good, thanks, or I've got a water, I felt really empowered. And I didn't feel like I kind of you know, like I didn't, you know how turtles like go into their shell? <laughs> Sometimes at the bar I'd be like, oh, I want to go into my shell. Oh. But I felt like I could really stand in my power and just go, no, not apologizing. I am good. And it was, and that felt really good to be able to, but again, it took, it took a while. Everything's a process. Absolutely. Okay. So I do want to talk a little bit more because I know that the listeners are going to be really intrigued and I am very intrigued. I want to talk more about why why you think you had a problem and what what was it that was being negatively impacted in your life can you give us a few examples and maybe yeah. a few sort of stories yeah so look i started drinking when i was 15 i went to a party it was the uh, after party for the whiz musical of which i played a munchkin uh, cuz i'm five foot nothing <laughs> naturally uh, naturally <laughs> and it was our year to a uh, year 10 11 11 year 11 anyway and uh, I drank bourbon out of a bottle on the way to the after party. I'd never drunk alcohol before. I'd never really been around alcohol. I think I'd had a West Coast cooler at Sizzler once. This is such a story in the 90s. Ah! And um, and my, I think my dad was like, have a West Coast cooler. Like you're 15 or whatever. It's fine. But I went to this party. My, um, my whole desire was to get drunk because it sounded exciting and rebellious and appealing I didn't even make it to the party. I passed out. My friend Amy had to call her mum to come and get me off the street 
I vomited everywhere. My friend's mum threw me in the shower at their house before she called my parents and said, hey, uh, Maz has had a bit too much to drink. Can you come and pick her up? I just, if- I, I have to interrupt you to say that um, that is a story, like that story to me is the most familiar thing in the world for me and my girlfriends. But it's actually not something that any of us, and maybe wrongly so, are embarrassed about. It's literally like seen as a rite of passage. We did it. We didn't just do it once. We did it well into our early 20s. And we look back and we laugh. And I kind of look at those times like I kind of had to do that because, um, I don't know, I just needed to push the envelope and feel like I was having fun, which I I look, you know, when when I have this conversation with you now, it makes me wonder, like, is that healthy? I don't know. But I don't know. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. just such a funny introduction into alcohol that I would say a lot or, or like, you know, 80, 90% of young Australians did exactly Experience. as yeah. a, a, a team. And if they waited until their 20s because they had really strict parents, I feel like they always went way overboard because way they should have just done it when they were a teenager and mum and dad could yeah. come and get them. Yeah, and there's so many problems with um with this situation, right? There's so many reasons why this is not okay. Um, but I I really did feel like it was something that was inevitable mm-hmm. and I felt like I was so I was humiliated. I remember I walked into school on Monday and I had to go into another class to deliver a message to a teacher and I walked in and all the boys in the back of Mrs. Berenger's class just started making vomiting sounds and laughing at me. Like I was so humiliated. And because I was the girl that vomited at the party and all the stuff. Um, And you would think after such an adverse experience with alcohol that I would have gone, well, I'm not going to do that again because (laughs) that was just horrible. But a few weeks later, there we are, and I managed to hold my alcohol the next time I drink. And so I don't end up with this chaotic story Suzanne Brown ends up in emergency and I'm like, well, at least I didn't end up in emergency. I'm okay. And I think we, from a very early age with alcohol, define our relationship with alcohol by, well, it's not as bad as the next person, so therefore I'm okay. And that's really, really dangerous because what I should have realised, and look, I was only 15 and there was no education about it. There was no conversation with my parents about it. They were just like, how dare you embarrass us? Don't you dare embarrass us like that again. Um. And I think I wish I had of had the self worth to go. You deserve better than that. Don't treat your body like that. Don't. And if I had have known what was happening in my body and my brain, which I now understand because I've spoken to a neuroscientist about what alcohol does to our brain, which I'm happy to talk about. I wish I had have known that then, and I would have made a different choice. But I think because of that introduction. It just became, and then it's like high school parties. We all drink. Some people get chaotic. Some Daniel Crichton was like the most chaotic drunk person in our year at school. I remember him once. He like jumped in the pool with his clothes on, got his wet shoe and put it on a, a burning barbecue and was trying to set his feet on fire. And it's like this, all this behavior is happening because everyone's so out of control wasted, but it's super normal. Mm-hmm. And there lies the issue that, 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 you know, 
that we are introduced to this substance that changes our brain chemistry. And in some ways it can help you feel relaxed. And in other ways it can send you off the rails and it's roll the dice because you don't know which way it's going to fly depending on the environment, the amount of alcohol you've had, what you've had to eat, you know, that day and, and all of the surrounding um, circumstances. So I had a really like baptism by fire intro to alcohol. And then I just drank every kind of weekend and it was weekends and weekends and weekends until it was Thursday and Friday and Saturday. And it was Thursday and Friday and Saturday until I moved out of home when I was in my early 20s and I worked at a radio station and there was an alcohol cupboard open on a Monday afternoon. And But then I wouldn't drink on a Tuesday and that was cool or a Wednesday. Sometimes I wouldn't drink on a Thursday, but I would drink on a Friday. Like I couldn't get through a week without um, alcohol, not because I had a dependency at that point. It's just what you did. It was so normalised. It was so encouraged it was just the way things were and then at some point probably in my late 20s I really started like I would sit at home maybe alone and watch a movie and drink a glass or two of wine so I started it was when it encroached into just me time that I was like huh this is helping the anxiety subside this is helping me relax this is helping me sleep all not true but um, I can explain why those things feel real, even though they're not. So I think it's just this, this consistent thing in my world that was just there all the time. And then the older I got, the bigger the stress got in my life, the crazier my, um, like my ups and downs got bigger. And so to cope, I used alcohol because it sort of, it kept everything at bay and it sort of, for me at the time, it was like, I'm stressed. This is the stress relief. Uh, I need to relax. Here's a relaxant. Uh, I need to ramp up. This will help me ramp up. And it just became my tool on how I could be a chameleon in all the environments that I needed to be. And then it was the thing that would like switch me off at the end of the day with an overactive imagination. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I want to talk a little bit about um, the way alcohol can be a blanket response to stress, trauma, anger, irritation. Um, a perfect example is like a really um, stock standard response for my husband and I, if we've had a fucked day um, at work and when you're in a um, service industry and a business that's open seven days a week and you have people contacting you through every modality whether it's phone email instagram physically in person and they all want something from you and sometimes yeah. people aren't that nice sometimes people I actually want to do an episode on this i don't know why but there has become a norm particularly online where the consumer talks to their service provider in such an aggressive way, like off the bat, just like yeah. just before they've even, you know, had a chance to explain what question they want answered or, or the issue that they've had. And sometimes, you know, we get to the end of the week and Chris and I would be like, that was a fucking stressful day. Let's <laughs> grab a bottle of wine. Or like, yep. you know, we've been in emergency all day because Izzy was sick. We finally get home. Oh, my God, get a bottle of wine and crack it open, you know. And... I do, I don't actually see that as problematic for me 
personally, although I am certainly curious um, and I'm wanting to reduce what I drink when I'm not pregnant. Um, I do want to do that because I do know that it affects my creativity and also just my health. Like I really, I want to deep dive into health after this. But what I want to talk about is like not necessarily the work stuff, but if you've had a shitty day Mm. and you're trying to process something instead of opening a bottle of wine and maybe talking about it for two minutes but then actually just using the alcohol to kind of like muddy the freaking waters, Yeah, you know, what would happen if we said, hey, let's talk about why we feel so frustrated today. Let's talk about what happened in emergency with our little baby daughter and how confronting it was Mm. seeing her there and and why we feel that way. And maybe the next morning we would wake up thinking we've spoken about it. We didn't just drink and then put a blanket over it. Yeah. Um, Why do you think? think, Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I think the best way to answer this is to just explain what alcohol does to your brain. And then you'll understand. So when you first drink alcohol, so alcohol changes your brain chemistry. Okay. So that's why when some people drink, they become a different person. It's because they're literally out of their mind. Their brain is not working normally. So when you consume alcohol, the first thing it does in your brain is it releases serotonin, which is a chill. So, you know, if you like, this is why you have a stressful day, have a glass of wine, the neurotransmitters secrete the hormone serotonin in your brain and you feel relaxed. But serotonin is like a hormone chemical release that can happen in many, many, many different ways. And it's, it's part of our natural brain chemistry, but alcohol triggers it. So that's why if you've had a stressful day, what we're used to if you drink alcohol is the serotonin, relax, chill, um, ugh, relief, And what you want is the relief and what you think gives you the relief is the alcohol, but it's not what you, what the relief is, is the chemical release in your brain. Does that make sense? So you could go and get that same serotonin release from something else is what you're trying to say. Correct. But the, the tool that we use to get it is alcohol because it's so instant and it's so apparent and it's so real. It's a, it's a tangible, I don't want to say benefit, but it's a tangible experience that alcohol gives us. It's a chemical hormonal release in your brain. So what happens is you've got serotonin, 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 and then at some point alcohol triggers dopamine. That's the feel-good party hormone in your in your brain, in your in your neural pathways, in your brain chemistry. Um, I'm not a neuroscientist, so I know if a brain scientist is listening to this, they're like, oh, God, you're not doing a good job, but I'm trying. Um, So serotonin, 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 and then at some point it's the dopamine switch. That's when you decide to start texting people to go out after you've been sitting on the couch. That's when you start dancing on tables. That's when you lose your inhibitions. And, again, dopamine is a natural wiring circuitry in the brain. It's your pleasure center. It can get activated by many, many things, but alcohol does trigger it as well. And so what we've learned to do is drink to chill or drink to go out. And we, what we need to understand is how our brains work and how we can activate those um, chemical releases and that hormonal release without alcohol. Alcohol is just that really easy thing that um, one-on-one is two. But we can take that out of the situation completely and still 
experience chill or up. Let me give you an example. So I have a cold shower every morning, um, ice cold, like the coldest of cold. And what a, a cold immersion therapy releases more dopamine in the brain than a line of cocaine. There's studies to, to prove this. I've never done cocaine, so I don't know what that feels like, but I feel like people understand usually when someone's taking a party drug like that, it's because they want to be up. It's hitting their pleasure center. It's activating the dopamine in their brain and it's bringing them an up feeling. A cold shower gives you more of a dopamine hit than that party drug, right? So for me, I get up in the morning and I have a cold shower and people are like, you're crazy. And I'm like, yeah, I am, but I want to feel good. And so I have this cold shower and I'm like up and about. I get up at four in the morning. I do breakfast radio. I have to be on my A game at 6 a.m. Um, and so that's how I get my up. And it's a really simple thing that we've learned from study and, um, and like Wim Hof and all these wonderful people that have done some really crazy things with cold immersion therapy and breath work that you can actually activate all of that stuff in your brain and in your body without any external influence or substance at all. It's just a cold shower and away you go. Um, and so like the reverse is true for that, that, um, that come down. There's studies showing that like, if you go for a walk in nature, like if you immerse yourself in nature, take off your shoes, ground into the vibration of the earth, getting a bit spiritual, but here we are, um, that that releases serotonin. And so that can be your, relax. You know, sometimes you, you walk outside and you have some fresh air and you're like, oh, how good that feels. That's serotonin. It's the same thing that alcohol is giving you, but it's way cheaper. It's free. It's outside your front door. It's endless supply. And we, I think, have just forgotten that those things exist. And so we've used this substance. We've used this like man-made um, thing to activate the stuff in our brain that nature has already set up for us, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why there is this huge, huge reliance on using alcohol as a coping mechanism because it does do something in the circuitry in your brain. It does. It, it helps you bring on those relaxed feelings. But the gamut of negative effects of alcohol are absolutely not worth it. So if we want to go into how you can maybe feel relaxed at the end of the day, but you're also increasing your chance of breast cancer by up to 30%, which is a fact that's scientifically proven. There's empirical studies. There's a link between alcohol and cancer risk. So like you could have a really shitty day and then have a glass of wine, but you've now put a carcinogen in your body and that's going to cause so much havoc if that does actually turn into something cancerous, mm. right? Like if those free radicals have gone crazy and for whatever reason it, it manifests in your body as something else, any amount of alcohol is increasing your risk of that. So now tell me how much you really want to relax at the end of the day and, and if you're willing to find a more productive way to find that <sighs> moment than putting a carcinogen in your body. And I think there's not been enough talk about how damaging alcohol is. And it's not just like risk of injury and silly decisions and losing wallets. Mm. It's like real world impacts. Like it, it can eat away at your brain circuitry. I think that's, that's the thing. I think there's a lot of people who are like, oh, well, I just have my wine and I go to bed. Like I'm not, I'm not going to embarrass myself. I would never get in the car drinking. I would never do this. But like I kind of want to take a step back and talk about the two parts of my brain that responded 
um, when I heard you talking about other ways to get that dopamine and the serotonin, right? Yeah. My more work side, my sort curiosity side was like, it's fucking, you know, you can do it in other ways. My, um, my side that is a little bit judgmental and to be frank, lazy, doesn't want to change, doesn't want to hear it. Mm. Here's you go, I have a cold shower at four in the morning and they go, well, I'm not going to fucking do that. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to have a cold shower. Yuck. Uncomfortable. Also, all very well for her to say because she's some health crusader and I live in the <laughs> real world. And, you know, the reality for me is that I just want to have my wine at the end of the day. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I yeah. know lots of people who, who, who have that side of them are going to, would, would have listened to that and said, that's, that sounds great. I might try cold shower once, but that's never fucking going to be me. And I think the reality is it's because we're lazy. And we don't want to do it and we don't want to try it. And it's so easy to excuse away someone's radical idea of health as being radical. Like I have family members who like think that I'm crazy healthy because I don't like drink soft drink and like fucking have a ciggy on the weekend and like eat processed food and have fruit juice in the fridge. Like they literally think, oh, Tori's really OCD. She's really over the top. Like she's in like that Sydney scene. So I can like, and I get really frustrated thinking it's, I'm, I'm just trying to not die here. I'm trying to not have depression and yeah. be fucking clinically obese. And the same could be yeah. said for you where you're like, I'm just trying to not give myself cancer by like cutting booze out. But it's, it's, that the web is is very intricate and I think that what we do is we go, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to be that person, I'm not going to be that all or nothing person, but we're not actually allowing ourselves to absorb how dangerous it is. We've, ta- we've touched on cancer and I want to talk about that a little bit more. Like when I was writing the um, – when I was researching for this episode, I read some of my, like, scripted um, intro allowed to my husband and I said, you know, it fucks with the sleep. We know, we know that alcohol, even though people think it helps them sleep, it may, it may help them fall asleep. We, it, the science has proven that in fact, yes. you have a very disrupted sleep. We also know that alcohol um, contributes to weight gain. Um, we know that alcohol, your body will not start digesting the food and processing the food that you've eaten until it has processed the alcohol. And I think I said, mood or, or general health and Chris said oh don't forget it's a carcinogen um and, it, and I was <laughs> yeah. like oh fuck yeah it is too and it's funny because like yeah. we're two people who like really enjoy a drink um mm. so I guess I'm just I don't know I'm 30 weeks pregnant clearly I'm rambling sorry about that my I love brain this. is not functioning as it once did my the whole point of that ramble is can we even though part of me is going to die a little bit when I hear it can we talk a little bit about the realities of the effects, the health effects of booze. hundred percent. And you know what? You make a really good point, Tori. Some people aren't going to want to hear this. I don't want to hear it. And, and that's okay because I love this. I think it's a Jewish proverb or a Buddhist monk or someone in the Zen world said, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And until you are ready to go down this road and accept the truth about alcohol, you will have your blinders on and that is fine because that's going to be your story. And that's not you personally. I mean, people listening, that's cool. And I think at the end of the day, um, I don't, I don't feel like having 
like for me, I have a cold shower in the morning because it works for me. I do what works for me. It's everyone's responsibility to do what works for them. If a cold shower is not your jam, find something else. Go for a so, Exercise. There's so many other things that we can do uh, with our hands, with our time, with our bodies, with our brain, other than drink alcohol. With your hands. So, Tell me more about that. <laughs> with your hands. Uh, well, do you know what? When I first stopped drinking... When when I first stopped drinking, I would feel so awkward at the at a bar without a drink. I did I was like, I don't know what to do with my hands. So I would just eat the hors d'oeuvres because I'm like, at least I'm because we're so used to having a drink, it feels so weird. Um but back to the negative impact. So I can keep it really simple. There's not one benefit to drinking alcohol. It, that's just the facts. So there are zero benefits. There, there, it isn't good for you in any way, shape, but or what form. What about that study that I hold on to, red wine, and um, you know, what do they call them? Antioxidants. I hate to tell that. you. Tell I you, hate don't to tell take you. Away my antioxidants. That's been debunked. That one. Yeah, I spoke to an addiction expert about that specific study. It's in one of my podcast episodes. His name's Dr. Buddy. Um, and he is an addiction expert at Calm Line. So he talks, he is, helps people in recovery from alcohol addiction. And we did, we talked about, I was like, but what about the studies that say like a glass of red wine is okay for your heart? And he's like, that's all been debunked. It was, it was a study that was done. And I think it was hastily published. And then I think the media just like, latched onto it and they're like alcohol is good for you we can have red wine um and that has been completely debunked and they've actually issued like a a retract on that study to say that that is completely they've done more research there's more data and the data shows um zero amount of alcohol is safe for human consumption that is the line from the world health organization do you want me to say it again zero amount of alcohol is safe for human consumption that is the line, and our government guidelines haven't caught up quite yet. In Canada, they just reissued their guidelines um, from 2011, and the new guidelines say that up to two drinks per week is a low risk for cancer. Zero is better. Two standard drinks a week maximum if you want to keep your cancer risk increase low. That's the Canadian guidelines now for alcohol. We're still on like seven or 10 drinks a week is like, okay. And it's absolutely not. If you want to talk about like what alcohol does in your body. So again, right, you go, I love my wine. I used to love, I loved wine. Are you kidding me? I loved my wine. I loved my champagne. I loved my freaking shots, man. I loved it all. But when I realized that it was literally killing me and it was going to reduce my time on the planet and I realized I had a purpose on this planet that I wanted to be here for a while for, it really hit home and I was like, everything's a fucking trade-off. Here's the trade-off. I will forego the wine to have my future health and my future self. And it's that simple. And Everyone, I think at some point will get to the moment where they realize that that is the trade-off they're willing to make. And until then, enjoy your wine, knock yourself out. But I feel like the the conversation is really turning around now and the narrative is like sobriety isn't weird anymore. 
because sobriety isn't this like bunch of cowboys going like we're anti-institution we're rebellious like sobriety now is about um finding your best and sober self showing up and being your authentic self living in your truth and actually sitting in your vulnerability feeling your feelings processing your shit dealing with your trauma and when you can do all of those things it's like alcohol is that multi-tool of coping we're not here to cope with shit we're here to deal with stuff and when you deal with it you can show up and be as evidenced by my last eight years on the planet the very very best my life is exploded with goodness because i stopped drinking and i loved my wine too don't get me wrong it was hard to give up it was a real struggle but i did that struggle and i feel like the trade-off was so well worth it i want to talk about okay so we can't deny that alcohol can cause cancer we, it, we can't deny it however what we can do is um lock it out i think that there are a lot of people who hear the big impact things like that and they go la, 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 baby. i mean at the older you get the more you do realize that fucking dying from cancer is fucked however what I find can sometimes be more effective is talking about the little things. So, okay, lung cancer and smoking, right? Yes. But it's the same when thing. you talk about fine lines and smoking, um, whatever the ones around the lips are, or, yeah. um, you know, um, patches on the skin, there's quite the response in people giving a shit. Can we talk about um, calories and skin and fitness? One yes. time my friend said to me, um, she, she actually had a significant problem with alcohol, which again, was really easy for me to excuse, um, her right to quit alcohol, but not mine because I don't have a problem with alcohol. But she said mm. to me, do you know what, Tori, do you know what really helps me on some days when I just would love to pour a wine? I remember that a glass of wine is the same <laughs> as having a like medium or miniature, um, Mars bar. And she was like, you wouldn't sit there. And have three or four of them and have dinner and have dessert would you because what would happen like if you did that you'd be like well i'm not gonna wake up tomorrow looking good i'm not gonna wake up tomorrow um you know slimmer than i would like let, let's let's take it like let's take it to the yeah. and skin like even just looking at you now how old are you 43. <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. all right i'm quitting the booth okay <laughs> 43 years old, doing breakfast radio. Hey, mother, you you do actually glow. And I just think oh, that we you. should talk about the fact that yeah. perhaps it's because eight years ago you stopped poisoning yourself. I don't Correct. want to say it, but it's true, say it. isn't it? It's the truth, girl. Um, it's so this. <laughs> yeah, I know. Do you it's do crazy. stuff like no, I no Botox and stuff. Yeah. No, I'm not. I might one day, but no. I can see your forehead moving. Um, I do love a forehead that moves. I um, um yeah. we have a rubber face. So there's invisible benefits to quitting drinking, like lower cancer risk. Um, your liver will recover. Your body will start processing food better. You can avoid stuff like leaky gut. All invisible inside internal bodily function stuff. Um, your brain will work better. Invisible benefits. Then there's the vanity benefits, and I'm and I look. 
if it's going to lead somebody to their sober self and that's the motivation we are a beauty obsessed generation um and i think there there are physical benefits that you can see uh on your face on your body on your skin that um taking the poison out of your daily duty is you know it's going to be they're, they're evident. So what about the cut? Let's talk about like calories for people who like that for them would be. Yeah. Um, okay. So, for them. so if you're into your macronutrients and, and all of that jazz, like if you're a calorie counter, alcohol is just liquid calories. So you've got calories, but zero nutrition. So it's like, would you eat a ton of like, I don't know, just highly processed, like high calorie zero nutrition um that's what alcohol is it's like it's a liquid it goes in it's got a shit ton of calories in it and it's going to give you no nutritional benefits so it will uh slow down your digestion it will um slow down the way your body processes other foods and then what it does um i spoke to a um a dietitian about this is i can't remember the technical term but alcohol just makes you crave shit food so not only have you smashed like hundreds of additional calories so think about that in exercise per minute like you're gonna have to do like a couple of k's on a treddy to get back to normal after a glass or two of wine right if you're going calories in, calories out. I mean, oh, look, I'm not a calorie counter, but um, yeah. yeah, that sounds about right. So, so you've got all these additional calories. Um, so you want to get back to normal. So you've got to burn those all off. I don't, it, some people live by this and, and that's fine. But it also, what it also does is it then like secretes all of this shit in your body that makes you want bad food to like soak up the alcohol. So no one is getting laced on flipping laybacks and then having a salad at three in the morning. Everyone's at the kebab shop, ordering pizza, having deep fried food. Like it's so, it's like a double whammy of like hectic caloric shit going into your body with no nutritional benefits, which is not ideal. You look at any dietitian or nutritionist and say you want, you need protein, 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 protein. And if you're going to have high calorie you want um high fat and you so high protein high fat um low processed food uh whole or ancient grains if if you're gonna go with grains do the whole or the ancient ones and make sure it's super nourishing food and alcohol isn't food and then people are like oh but it's just grapes I'm like, but would you eat 14,000 kilos of grapes? No. Do you know how many grapes it takes to make a bottle of wine? You're not going to sit there and eat that many grapes. So you cannot use that on me at all. And the other thing that, and this is what I found so weird when I quit drinking, Tori, is my sugar cravings went hectic and i was always like i'll have a glass of wine i don't do dessert person yeah, when I, hello, i'm healthy yeah i'm a red and, wine don't give me that yeah yeah that's me and that's There's a lot so of people much that sugar. i know it's like literally a point of pride like so oh, much I don't sugar eat shit, but just give me a glass of wine <laughs> there's so much sugar in wine and in alcohol like not in the alcohol because alcohol is ethanol it's poison but everything we put with it so you have a bourbon and Coke. So you're drinking a shit ton of soft drink. And we know how sugary soft drink is and how Gin bad and it is. Tonic. I mean, because I, I, I know a lot of people who are purists and they're like, I would never have a bourbon and Coke. 
Right. I would have my red wine or I would have my G&T. Tonicus? Yeah. I, I was quite – I've never been so a So sugary. It's, a, it's the same as Coke. For anyone out there who's having a G&T, it's the same. It's soft drink. skip the tonic. It bad yes. for you. So the sugar – and so we know that sugar is not great either. So, you're again, you've got these empty calories, these liquid calories that have no nutritional value and you're, like, ingesting tons of sugar. And it just sends your whole digestive system – into overload and then we start fat storing and then and then if you think about it you know you wake up at three in the morning with crippling anxiety or anxiety going like who did I text what did I do where are my undies what the fuck's going on and I think that anxiety releases the stress hormone which is cortisol and cortisol is a fat storer so it's like you go out you treat your body like rubbish you wake up at 3 a.m you have these huge panic attacks because you've acted like a complete dick and then your body is going to fat store to cope with the mess that you've provided with yourself. Oh, and oh so, can we even take it back, Mads? Can we not even, like, because a lot of people, again, I just keep thinking about the people who are listening to this. They're going to be going, I don't do that. I don't go out. I'm not going out. Oh, till, sure. I'm not going out till two in the morning. And But are you going to bed and, like, basically, if we're frank about it, passing out or falling asleep very quickly because you've consumed alcohol? Mm. Are you then waking in the night? Is your mind racing? Like, mm. can we put two and two together and go, like, because doesn't, haven't I read studies, and I'm hoping that you can confirm this, I know that you're not a scientist, but I know that you've done a lot of reading and a lot of interviews yourself with professionals. Mm. From my understanding, alcohol will get you to sleep, but then you'll, you will wake up because your body needs to process that alcohol. So, um, Kind of. Okay. Okay. So, um, so your body, there's four stages of sleep. Um, the fourth stage of sleep is REM sleep. That's a rapid eye movement sleep. And that's your deep sleep where you dream. And the more time you spend in REM, the better. And alcohol, um, it gets you to that first stage of sleep and then it keeps you there and it stops you going into your REM sleep. And then usually if you have had uh, any liquid before bed, you will wake up uh, to go to the bathroom or you will come out of your sleep stages quicker. You won't be on that 90 minute, 45 minute, 90 minute cycle of sleep that we have. I think it's 90 minutes. Is it one? I full think it sleep depends cycle. on the type of sleep. Yeah. So from the first stage down to second, third, fourth, and back around is like, I think it's a 90 minute cycle. Either way, um, any amount of liquid is going to bring you. So basically what alcohol will do is, yeah, it will get you your head on the pillow, but you will not be, um, having any level of sleep quality and so it's great to have to be in bed for eight hours but what is your sleep health and your sleep quality that's more important so as much as I know I used to do it too like glass of wine just to knock me out just to get me off to sleep but then the disruption in the sleep and the fact that you're not going to spend the longest amount of time in that deep REM sleep which is the restorative sleep which is when all the healing happens in your body which is when you can process all of the shit and toxins and your body can go into repair mode you're skipping it so you're actually doing yourself a massive disservice because you're not letting your body do what it's supposed to do when you have that deep sleep. So you just sort of, you're just cutting yourself short. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And even though, again, that's an invisible benefit. When you stop drinking, and this is my challenge, like if you don't think you have a problem, then great, like stop drinking for a month or two and then let's talk about it because you will notice you'll get all the invisible benefits and be like, shivers, I feel so much better. 
And if you didn't have a problem, why wouldn't you just want to feel better? Do you know what I mean? Like without it being this big thing that you have to stop doing, um, you could casually just stop and it doesn't have to be this big deal. But I think I agree with you. There's some people that are like, don't take away my wine. And I'm like, okay, cool. Well, then I think you have a dependence, babe. And we need to, and even though it doesn't look like alcoholism to you or alcohol use disorder, or you're not chaotic, you're not leaving Las Vegas, it's just a glass of wine every single night. Think about the knock-on negative impacts that's having on your health, on your skin, on the way your body function works and your brain chemistry works. Take it out of the equation for a month or two. Tell me how much better you feel. Mm. And I think that's where a lot of people are. Um, And it's just really difficult because it's deeply ingrained. It's widely accepted. And it's, I think the biggest thing is it's an easy fix. And we see this in the fitness and the diet industry. Why do people still buy into fad diets? Why do people still not pull their finger out of their butt and just get up and exercise and eat relatively healthy and get some sleep? Because it's not as easy as grabbing something on the go and forgetting for a second uh, that that bottle of processed you know, whatever juice or that packet of something is full of shit. Like it's just the human condition is that we are lazy. And I think that there are people who have figured out some parts of their life and then alcohol is that one sort of vice. And I guess that's, I do think that there's probably a lot of people in our audience, including me, like I really want to make it clear that like I'm not sober and I, I definitely am including myself in this group where mm. I'm kind of sticking my head in the sand around the fact that, you know, when I'm not, like I said, when I'm not pregnant, I'm regularly consuming something that actually just isn't doing me any good. And I do, of course, I'm a believer in balance and you can't, you know, you can't do everything perfectly. Like, you know, sugar's not good for you, but I fucking eat chocolate and I love an ice cream mm. from now and then. I guess the, the reason that I wanted to accommodate this conversation was to, to actually talk about the fact that it, is bad for you and maybe talk about some ways that people can reduce like not everyone's going to be mass content not everyone's just no one uh, some people just don't have the discipline and some people don't Mm. have the interest um but what what can we do to reduce the alcohol to see positive positive changes so i know you said um you know my whole life improved but can you give me a couple of tangible Mm. pieces of my stories or, or 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 little tidbits about what actually improved physically and mentally relationships wise when you stop drinking? Yeah. Well, firstly, just to, just be, cause I want you to answer this question just between us. I want you to have a think about like, everything's a trade off. So you know that it's bad, but what purpose is it serving for you? Have a think about why truly why you drink alcohol in the small amounts on the odd occasion that you do, what is it giving you? Because once you kind of can unpack that, then you can have a conversation about what it is that's masking or serving for you, right? So even though there's all these negative things, it has to be serving some purpose in your life. Otherwise, why would you do it? So whether it's a feeling or whether it's acceptance or whether it's um, denial or, or of whatever, right? For me, have, do you know what? This you, is really interesting. So uh, this is a line that I have repeated several times in this pregnancy. Um, I've said, um, I don't necessarily miss 
like the drinking. Obviously, I'm not missing like going out and partying. I'm too fucking busy and tired in the world for that. But I have consistently said what I miss is that feeling of finishing the day with a glass of wine, particularly when I'm cooking or particularly when I'm in a social environment. The feeling is A, one of um, relief and relaxation and B, also um, I'm really into the ceremony of things and the ritual of things and the kind of, I guess it's like treating yourself because there's not much, particularly in my life right now where I am as a business owner and a mother, there's not much that's actually about me and that is me giving myself a little treat. And and that 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 glass of wine is like, this is about me now. Um, mm. So that's the answer to your question. Um, before we know. Could you replace it with something else? So I had this conversation with a friend the other day and I was like, just talking, you know, he's similar sitch. Like he's, he's a dude. He drinks occasionally, like loves his wine, but nothing outrageous. He's a dad, you know? And I was like, what is it about wine that you love so much? And he's like, Oh, it's just the feeling it gives me. I'm like, okay. So, you know, that's manufactured. Like, you know, that you can do other things to give yourself the, that same feeling. I said, so, cause I was like, give me your perfect scenario. And he's like, like date night, like um, beautiful sun setting glass of red. I'm like, take the glass of red out of it. What's changed? He's like, I'm like, you're still on your date night with the person that you love. You're still watching the sunset and it's magical and beautiful. What is it about the alcohol that changes that scenario that makes it so much better? And it's just our attachment to it. And you can put any other thing that could be more beneficial in your hand that can still give you relief and validation of hard work. It sounds to me mm, like mm, mm. you're, you're like end of the day. I've earned this. It. Yeah. I deserve this, but you deserve better than alcohol. And so it's just a reframe on what you a- attach value to. And along the journey in your, in your world, in your business owner and a busy mom and a wife and so many things to so many people, somewhere along the line, your attachment became alcohol equals good job, Tori. And, and if you, you can rewrite that script, you can actually change that narrative by attaching good job, Tori to something else that's actually beneficial or going to be better for you. But that's just, Food for thought, not to psychoanalyze. Just, no, no, you know, no, no. We, we may like, as well have the conversation, absolutely, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And yeah. I also think it's important, like, I'm asking you all these personal questions. Like, the whole point of this podcast is to facilitate, like, a really raw, open conversation. Yeah, I love it. It's not really appropriate for me to have these guests on and not share, like, where I'm yeah. coming from all of it. Um, okay, so we got so a little sidetracked. Yeah, benefits. I yeah. really want to hear benefits. them because I think this, benefits, is, this, benefits. Is, this is the kind of thing that people – People need to hear um, because, you know, we don't want to give up our beloved wine unless we're going to get other treats in other ways. Yeah. So for me, um, so benefits wise, it was about day 22, January 22, somewhere around there, first month of not drinking. I like legitimately woke up with a new brain. I woke up that morning and I felt like someone had switched on a light in my head. And I felt like before that moment, I had been running at like a 70% capacity and I thought I was running at 100. I felt like um, my creativity um, 
was on a whole new level. This sounds really cheesy, but I was like, did I do the matrix pill thing last night? I felt like the sky was brighter. Like things were just, I could literally smell the roses. And when you dig into why it's because, um, alcohol dulls your senses. And so after about three weeks of not drinking, your senses come back. So I could literally smell the roses and I, and I just felt like everything was just, I was more real. Like I really did wake up and I was like, Whoa, is this what I've been missing out on? That's how I felt. It was a really um, defining moment. Not everyone has those moments. Some people just like get on with it. <laughs> and then one day they look in the mirror and they're like, oh my God, my face looks skinnier. And so for me, it was when, so there was that. And then there was also, so I'm getting sleep all of a sudden after like 20 years of not sleeping properly, I'm getting full sleep. And I think it's this whole sleep's probably the most underrated pillar of health that we have. Um, I was getting good quality sleep, more sleep than I've ever had before. So I would get tired earlier. I would go to bed earlier and I would wake up earlier and that worked for me. So I'd wake up naturally at five in the morning and then I'd get up and go for a walk. And so all, it was like these knock-on benefits, right? Um, people did say to me like, what are you doing? Because you look great. And I feel like my skin, I never had bad skin, but I, my skin was patchier. Um, and I feel like, yeah, my skin just renewed. Um, I started working out cause I had time. So every time I would normally go to the pub, I went to the gym. So I've never really struggled with my weight. Um, but I worked out for, um, a different reason pre quitting drinking. It was always to not get fat. Um, when I stopped drinking, I was working out to find my healthiest self. Like my whole drive and motivations shifted. Mm. So you, I had all of those like physical benefits going on. And then I, and that was really encouraging. I was like, oh my God, this is working. <laughs> like I feel good. I'm looking better. My brain's working better. My creativity was on a whole nother planet. And I felt like, um, for the first time really in my adult life, I had the capacity to process some pretty hectic trauma that I'd been through. Um, and I, so I sat with all of those shitty feelings and. Rather than when they came up, having a little glass of wine and popping the lid straight back on again. Yeah. And that was the work. And so I journaled um, that whole first month I journaled and I kept journaling after and about six months into sobriety, I reread my journals and I was like, oh, there she is. Oh my God, she's so broken. Oh my God, I want to heal her. And I had this really like, I just had so much compassion for myself after reading where I'd been. It sounds a bit weird, but I had to reread through my journal entries to understand how broken I was and why I drank and why there was no self-love, self-worth, self-care, and why there was imposter syndrome, and why I didn't value myself, and how a divorce at 30 completely railroaded me. And I, like, I saw myself as a person who I loved and who I cared about and who I wanted to protect. And then that became... I guess like a, the next iteration of motivation to stay sober was like, let's look after this chick because she's fucking cool. And if I can process my trauma and my pain 
that's going to help somebody else process theirs. And so that is worth it. So it's a, it's like a, it's like I said, it's like that um, compounded benefits, that progressive revelation. It starts off with a little bit of like, hey, baby, look good. And you wake up feeling a bit fresh and you lose a little bit of weight. And, you know, and then but you just. so and much then more you, real than that. Yeah. You hit this. I hit this point where I was like, fuck, I'm so broken. No wonder. No wonder I drank. I mean. Oh my God. And then I went and I checked in and I saw a therapist and that was, that was a really, um, really smart thing for me to do because I was able to go with all of my stuff and go, this is all bubbling up for me. And I'm crying in my car a lot and I'm listening to Adele and I don't know what's going on and I'm really sad, but I want to get my joy back. Help me get my joy back. And so, um, we went through we went through a whole series of stuff. We went way back to like shit when I was eight, you know, way back, so far back. But um, when when you really lay it all out, it's like I'm never going to judge someone for picking up a glass of wine because we all have stuff. But what I really want to help people do is find other ways instead of the wine that are more beneficial, that are more helpful in helping us um, know thyself um, and grow thyself. And then we can show up and be our best. And I always say best and sober self because I truly, truly, truly believe that your best self is your sober self. I don't know one person who has stopped drinking that said it was a bad idea and started drinking again. I there's not one person I've spoken to and there's probably been hundreds now that have reached out to me or that I've interviewed on my podcast or that I've conversed with there's not one person that said, yeah, sobriety, nah. Everyone's like, it's a superpower. It's like it will ignite your life. But you've got to, no one can convince you into it or no, sell you, you into it. You no, can't. it's like it's for every. it's there on the table and it's for everyone to get there when they want to get there and pick it up when they want to pick it up. And I didn't even know the table existed until I was 34. I um, want to share what's coming up for me. Um, okay, so I've mentioned it a couple of times in pregnancy. I'm not drinking. And I remember in, in our first pregnancies talking to Beck and um, she was pregnant and I was like, you look so fucking good. And she was like, yeah, because, babe, I'm not drinking. And I was like, oh, yeah. She's like, I'm not, I, I wake up fresh and I've actually – lost weight in my first trimester because, I mean, if, you, if you're really frank about it, you're not just pouring liquid toxins and totally. calories and sugar down your throat on top of all the other stuff that you consume in a normal day. Yeah. Um, and for me, it's funny, like I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, I wonder how, because I'm like, I'm one of those people who's like, I'm a happy pregnant person. I feel really good when I'm pregnant. I really lean into my creativity and like, don't get me wrong. I don't have easy pregnancies. I fucking vomited for four and a half months straight. Oh, I know I have pubic symphysis dysfunction, which means essentially um, I'm in pain pretty much all of the time and I can't walk. Like that's, that's the level that I'm dealing with. Honey, However, that's horrific. I 
And I obviously part of it comes down to the fact that it's the magic of new life and, and, and extreme gratefulness and knowing that you're, you know, you're doing something wild with your body. But also <laughs> there is this little like thing on my shoulder going, Tori, how much of that, how much of you feeling good? And, you know, everyone says, oh, you, you know, people say it's a common theme. People say you glow when you're pregnant. People say um, that often they they really lean into their creativity or they feel really good. And I'm starting to think how many people are experiencing those positive things because um, they're not drinking. And yeah. Of course, there's a million other things. There's hormones and blah, blah, blah. But I just... I just find the concept really interesting. And what is also coming up for me is when I'm pregnant, I am so dedicated to this beautiful angel that I'm so lucky to be growing. So I'm very, very conscious about what I put in my body. Um, I'm always thinking, what can I do? What can I eat that course needs to be bloody yummy and delicious don't get me wrong but what can I, how can I best nourish my baby when I exercise I'm exercising for my baby and for my body mm. to be strong in labor and recovery and when I don't drink it's for my baby because I don't want to damage my baby so mm. what that and that's all well and good and that's widely accepted but like I guess it's like what's just come up to me then is like why aren't I enough when I'm not pregnant you know, like what, what's, do I want to look after and nourish this baby girl, AKA me? And like, I'm pretty, I'm pretty up there in terms of like, um, self-respect and looking after myself. Like I would say that I have a higher than average, um, positive relationship with my body and my mental state and my diet and all of that. But still, mm. I think there is always work to be done and I want to feel worth it for me. And I actually have really felt in this pregnancy that I have seen that some of the benefits in my life have, have come from, you know, just that quick, you know, you get pregnant, that's it, you stop drinking, done. And I've said to myself, I know that some of this is down to me not drinking. And I've, I've in my head, I've said to myself a few times, I really want to try and continue that when I have the baby. When I had Isabella, um, it was locked down and there was definitely months in that period where like I relied so heavily on that drink at the end of the day because you're parenting mm. a very small baby and, you know, I'm doing all the, you know, you do the breastfeeding, you do it at the right time and all that stuff. Like I'm not saying I was just necking wine and had my daughter on the boob, but like I drank with a need and a thirst mm. and I wonder how much better, and I had a really good postpartum experience. I really, really did, but I want more. Mm. Maybe mm. I would have made even more milk. Maybe I would have felt even better and slept even more. Maybe I would have had even more elation and even more joy. Um, and if I hadn't had a good postpartum experience, how could I, how could that have been benefited by not drinking? It's just, I guess that's just really relevant to me right now. And it's yeah. such an easy thing where you excuse the not drinking because it's not about you. It's about someone else, but like it should, why isn't it about you? Why isn't it about me? And why isn't it about, how I want to better myself. And I know so many people in my life, my husband is a perfect example. Like he would not mind me saying this. Like he openly admits that like, you know, the booze can leave you just, 
and it's little things, but they add up. The booze can leave you waking up feeling unmotivated. You're not going to fucking drink and then get up and be your best self. Um, you know? I think you've answered your own question and it it really does. And I, I agree with you that it's amazing when you are creating new life in your body. It's, it's a freaking roller coaster. It's a wild, wild ride in the wild, wild west. It's crazy. It's so insane. And most people become pregnant and go, right, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure this baby gets the very best nutrition, the very best start. I want that umbilical cord to just be like thick and stacked with vitamins and nutrients. And we start researching and we like our whole world pivots because we want to take care of this human that we're growing, but we don't exercise the same care over ourselves and our own autonomy. And that blows my brain. And I don't know why that is. I just know that that is. And so it would be so amazing if we all loved ourselves so much that we treated our own bodies and our own autonomy with the care and the love and respect that we treat the little people that we bring into this world. And like, how, what, how amazing would that be if that is what we see when we look in the mirror? But I think what's happened is that alcohol has just become so prevalent and so easy that we we miss that point. It's also marketed as self-love. Like literally it's like, oh, I love myself. I'm going to treat myself with a, buying a beautiful bottle of wine. Like literally 100%. that's my thought process. It, yeah. It's like I deserve this. This is for me. Yeah, it's been overridden by just an industry trying to make money basically. That's what it is. And so – I would love for people to just hopefully that's landed in someone's soul today where they're like, oh, my God, what about just loving me and nourishing me and caring for me because I'm the giver of life and you're that lifeline for that baby for a fair amount of time and I'm pretty sure you want to be around and you're healthiest and your best. And, and your best, even just literally your having best. the energy to get on the floor and play and, like, actually kind of be present. It's little things. Maz, I just feel like there's so many things that we didn't get to. Can we do a part two? I think we should. Thanks for listening to Last Drinks Podcast. If you love this podcast, then subscribe. For more inspiration and to reach out, you can follow us on Instagram at Last Drinks Pod. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.